0: Welcome to The Holy Catholic Brew. My name is Lyndon Chan and I'm a newly minted young professional. I've been blessed with the presence of really amazing, faithful Catholics in my life and by the grace of God in my own life. This podcast is meant to distill some of the fruitiest, strongest, and most concentrated graces I've received that I think others might benefit from hearing. So sit back, grab your favorite brew, and tune in with me for interviews and reflections as we steep ourselves in the infinite, life-giving love of God. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Holy Catholic Brew. Today I interview Father Peter Tyrone, who is the parish priest at St. Thomas Aquinas Church in the Archdiocese of Toronto, and also the chaplain for the Newman Centre, which is the chaplaincy for the University of Toronto. While Father Peter had been very devout as a child, he began to wander in his faith during his youth, and it took him some time before he realized that God was calling him to become a priest. His journey as a priest was also fraught with difficulties and challenges. So sit back and find out more from Father Peter himself. Enjoy! Well, thank you for joining our podcast. Pleasure. Yeah, so could you introduce yourself and how we got to know each other?
1: Sure. Okay, my name is Father Peter Turone. I'm the current uh, pastor, uh, chaplain at the Newman Center Catholic Mission. I'm going into my fifth year now here as uh, part of my priestly ministry. And we met when you were here as a student. So we met, uh, you started off, I guess I'd see you in the drop-in space and then I got to know you more when you started to, uh, to volunteer as an altar server sacristan as well, and uh, chatting over lunch in the drop-in space. Yeah,
0: Yeah, and how has uh, COVID-19 been?
1: How has it been? Okay, well, I used to live in the Gobi Desert for almost okay. years. So I, I became uh, accustomed to isolation, uh, living in the desert with a handful of people, a handful of missionaries, and we had more sheep around us than people, because they're semi nomads and stuff. So that was a, a good uh, school to prepare for what's uh, what's happened in Toronto these months. So I would say that I have, I, I was, I might, I'm probably, I was probably better prepared than other people. Yeah, it takes um, a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of time to get used to it. In the beginning, it's very difficult. Like I struggled a lot when I first arrived in in uh, in the desert, and then for for here, the biggest struggle for us, for at least for myself as a priest, was that all of this happened before Holy Week, and then mm-hmm. not to be able to shut down the churches and not be able to to celebrate the liturgies, especially the, the holiest week of the year, without the faithful was uh, was a challenge.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could you? Um... Explain your song of choice. You picked uh, What a Beautiful Name by Hillsong.
1: Okay. Well, uh, when I was younger, I was I was baptized Catholic, but I wasn't always a Catholic. So when I was younger, I was very devout. I remember the day I received Holy Communion. It still kind of burned in my memory and my heart. And, and that was a very profound experience. And then as I got older, for different reasons, uh, you know, uh, my own struggles, um, my father was Jehovah's Witness, the problem of evil, all of those things that kind of moved away from the faith. And then I looked all around, after being a hardened atheist for a few years, I met this girl, and so she, was, she wasn't She was a Christian, but this girl was involved in New Age. So I thought that was interesting, and I was more because I liked her than New Age, that I started to be open to the possibility of the spiritual realm. So I went to different uh, New Age kind of events and listened to what she would talk about and things. There was a, not, like a sincere desire to transcend myself. And so I looked around and then I went to a, a Buddhist temple. I learned about other religions and things, but I was searching, searching, but I never really felt uh, truly satisfied. And it was when I went to Christ, to Jesus Christ, it's a, then I finally understood uh, who God is and uh, my, my vocation, and my life. So that's why uh, Jesus' name is the most beautiful because nobody can save us except Jesus Christ, right? And in scripture, it says that um, nobody, uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So there's, if you wanna to go to heaven, the only way to go to heaven is through through him and stuff. So I understood that late in life, but I still came to understand that. And that's what pushed me forward to want to, to share uh, faith in Christ to other people as well. Yeah, that's why his name is the most beautiful.
0: Yeah. Could you also explain um, your vocation to the diocesan priesthood? From what I know, it's been a very long journey, <laughs> a very direct one.
1: No, it's not, it's, it hasn't been a direct one at all. I'm glad that you mentioned that because what happened was I started when I was a little kid. Again, I received my first communion. I remember f- uh, feeling very close to Jesus at that time. And then when I was 13, we had our confirmation retreat, which we did at Mono Mills. I'm not sure if you did that when you were in high school. So I was confirmed in Italy, but we did it here. I did my formation at St. Peter's Catholic school in Woodbridge. So on that retreat, we were sitting around the altar for the celebration of the mass. And I felt like a magnet pulling me to the altar. I felt a profound sense of joy and I was overwhelmed because I had never really experienced that before. And there was a, a deep sense of joy whenever I was around the altar, when I was around the tabernacle. And, and then I didn't really have anybody to talk to about these things. So I kind of let it go. And then my dad became a Jehovah's Witness. And so he was involved with, with Jehovah's Witnesses. He was trying to get our family to become Jehovah's Witnesses. So there was some conflicts there. And, and then there was, my aunt was very sick. So my aunt was sick and then I used to go visit her every week with my dad in hospital. So I loved her very much. And then I saw her wither away with cancer and that was very difficult. Again, not talking about it with other people, but seeing that I remember praying for her, uh, but I saw her getting worse. So all these things kind of culminated. And then to the point where I kind of uh, started to, uh, in a sense, lose, lose faith. And then, when I got older, I said in, the, in, the, in response to the previous question, I started to uh, meet people. And then there's this one girl that I really liked, and she was very spiritual. She wasn't religious, but she was very spiritual. And so she introduced me to, to the possibility that there's something after this life. And I found that to be quite fascinating. I found her to be more fascinating than what she was teaching, but I still feel the stirrings, like the in, interior kind of uh, stirrings. Of wanting something more and so because if you look around without belief in God um, you start to see the world and it can be overwhelming right? it can be overwhelming as well in the sense that um, you know that there's something else like there's a nostalgia for something else but you can't really articulate it and our in our faith again it gives us the language to explain why we feel the way we do so so this continued on further and then Uh, I took a course at York University, and it was a a course on ancient Western civilization. So the professor had been a united minister who had left the church. So he was teaching us, well, he was co-teaching this course, and we had to read the scripture, Greek mythology, St. Augustine's Confessions and things. So we're reading all these things. And then I was reading, as I'm reading the confessions, I was overwhelmed by what I read. And then I came to realize that this was a, a prayer of St. Augustine's dialogue with God. So it was his dialogue with God. And that overwhelmed me because I thought that Christians were naive, um, not very intelligent, and a whole bunch of other things, hypocritical and stuff. So when I, as I'm reading this, I can see how he himself struggled with all these things, and now he ended up coming to faith. So that put a lot of uh, doubts in my mind about my atheism or about, uh, about my doubts about the church. So this kind of went on and then I got a job and I was working at the doctor's house in Kleinberg. And then and then there were two sisters there. They were both devout Christians, they were Baptists. And I really liked one of them and just beautiful, beautiful uh, people. And she loved Jesus Christ. So we would see each other on Saturdays. She would never work on Sunday. So we, we worked together and uh, I was working Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then I would always look forward to seeing her. And then she would talk about her faith, Talk about Jesus. and It felt like her experience was a, a, a real experience, and she just seemed very different than all the other girls. Like actually, all, more very different than everybody else uh, with whom I'd worked at that time. And and then I had been invited to some events that they have in their in their Christian community. So I was reinforced, I guess, in the in the in the belief that God does exist and that Jesus is God. So I really liked that. And then I got invited to a Catholic prayer group through a friend's relative. So she had invited us, and this was at Immaculate Conception Church in Woodbridge. It was a weekday evening, and I had gone there with her and her mom. So we had gone there, and I didn't know what to expect, hadn't been to church in years. So I went there, and so we go downstairs, and there was a woman there, and so she's praying. It's a charismatic. So she was praying, and as she was speaking, so she's praying. I was overwhelmed by the words that she was saying. Again, so I had no idea what what uh, was going to happen. I was very surprised that I said yes, that I uh, to go right, to, to yes to the invitation. So we're there, and then as she's speaking and she's praying, she was answering a lot of questions that I had buried inside of myself for years. So it was like all of those wounds kind of just opened up, and then I felt the experience of of Christ, and. It was a beautiful moment. And then the deacon, so Deacon Diego Morata, came to me afterwards. And then he said, can we pray for you? So I said, sure. So he came over. He put his hands on my head. And I remember him looking at me and saying, what do you want from Jesus? And I was not prepared for this. I had not prepared an answer. But all at once, the, it, right from my heart, it came out, I want to start over again. So they prayed for me. There were a whole bunch of people that were praying. And at that moment, there was something literally changed. It was like I had regained my vision, but without knowing that I had been blind up until that moment. Mm-hmm. I thought Christianity was a crutch. In fact, if Christianity is, a, if it's really a crutch, then why would people lay their lives down for Jesus Christ? Why would they go like the Carmelite nuns in France and up singing the Veni Creator Spiritus while getting their heads chopped off? That's not a crutch. Right, so that's not a crutch. So I've, I recognized my folly, right, my ignorance and my sinfulness, and I expected that I was going to hear something very hard from the Lord, that He's going to look at what you've said about me, all these things. But the complete opposite happened. I heard, "I love you," and I felt a profound sense of peace, kind of like overwhelm me, and that was the beginning. It's only the beginning, right? But the beginning of a new life. So I left that night a changed man. And I didn't know that God had prepared me, was preparing me for the priesthood. So I had gone home that night and my grandfather had given me a crucifix. So my grandfather, uh, my dad's dad was very devout. So when he came from Italy for a visit, he brought me a crucifix. And I had taken that off in my teen years, put it in the box, and I put it in the corner, in some remote corner, in a closet in my room. So that night I came home and the first thing I did was I had this strong impulse to get the crucifix. So I took it and I put it over my bed. And then the morning after, like I, I got up and I just felt different. And my parents walked by my room. I didn't know this till years later. But my parents walked by my room and my dad turns to my mom and he says, look, bet you he's going to become a priest. And I found out about this in the year 2000 when I had gone to visit my my aunt in Italy. And my aunt, one day, we were sitting in the country. It was a beautiful afternoon, and she said to me, "She goes, your grandfather always wanted a priest in the family." So I had not yet told them about my vocation, but there were so many uh, moments, like throughout that time, that helped me to understand this. So I felt uh, I had gone to Steubenville for the young adults conference. And that was a great moment when I met. Uh, there was Han, There was a Father Benedict Rochelle. Father Stan Fortuna. There was Sister Ann Shields. The talks were were amazing. And then I had gone to confession to this priest, and it was that moment with that priest. I really felt uh, Jesus in the priest, and I received a lot of grace. And he had asked me about the priesthood, and I was a bit nervous. Because I had started feeling that, but I was afraid to even consider the possibility. So you think, well, how is it possible that somebody who had denied Christ spoken so badly of the church, never badly of Jesus, but badly of the church, and, and been a, a, a wretched sinner, even be considered, uh, consider the possibility of the priesthood? So, so I was horrified at the idea. And then other people asked me as well. And, and then over time, the idea started, uh, kept growing. And it was like a thought. And then when I would pray, it would be there and it would never leave me. And whenever I would think about it, I would have, I would experience like a profound kind of joy. It was the same kind of interior. It's kind of, it's, it's almost like, like an explosion. I don't know how else, to, how else to say it, but it's like an internal kind of explosion of joy. The same experience I had when I was at the altar during the retreat. Uh, for mass during, the, during my confirmation retreat. It was the same experience. It was always, and it would just kind of come and it would just it would just ignite itself. And and it was, it was there. And then I'd gone to back to Steubenville. So it was 97, 98, and 99. So for three consecutive years. So 97 was that experience. 98, the Lord confirmed many times to different people and experiences that weekend. And then I had said yes to the Lord. I said, yes, I will do this. But I told them, I said, you're going to have to wait a bit because I wanted I wanted to become a doctor. I wanted to become a scientist. And and the Lord gave me that opportunity. So I was able to go to, uh, I moved out of my parents' home. I moved down here on St. George. And I went to U of T as a grad student. So I did six years, master's, Ph.D. And that was a beautiful opportunity because I had a great spiritual director, Monsignor Haddock, and to ensure that what was going on inside of me was just not... Kind people saying, oh, you have to become a priest. God's calling you to priesthood because you go to Mass every day. Yeah, not necessarily mean they were called to the priesthood. We're all called to sanctity, right? We're all called to be saints. So, so I went to Monsignor Haddock and I had a really good spiritual director. He got to know me very well. I got to know him very well. And over the course of six years with him and then two years after that in the seminary, uh, we recognized that, in fact, it wasn't just something that was external, but there was something more going on. Right? It wasn't just like my imagination or people's wishful thinking. It was really something that was that was uh, a, a call from God, and the Lord continued to confirm that over the course of those years. I also felt a, a pull to go outward, so I, I fell in love with Saint Paul and his letters and the, and him wanting to go out to to people who did not know who Jesus was. And I guess it was because of my own experience of uh, of being so far away from Christ, then wanting to, in a sense, kind of to help those who were in the same situation that I was in, that I had been in the past. So that, that desire was there. And then I came across this religious community of Italian missionaries. So I'm an Italian descent, I'm an Italian citizen. I love Italy. And I thought, wow, this is a perfect match. So I had um, finished my doctorate here. I did my philosophy in Toronto, and then I got sent to do the novitiate in Italy. And when I was there, um, we lived a year. It's kind of, it's on a farm, this beautiful farm. You work and you pray. And again, the desire, a priesthood kept getting stronger and stronger. And, and then I, I got sent to Rome. I, was, I, was, I studied at the Urbaniana, which is the missionary university of the Vatican. And then after that, I got sent to Mongolia. And then when I was in Mongolia, I took my final vows uh, as a religious. And then I was ordained to the diaconate by the bishop, who's, who has since died. And so I was ordained in Mongolian yeah, but I had to. I had a an English translation, so it was a valid ordination. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had that, and and it and it was the fulfillment of like all my desires that were that were there. And my parents were not happy uh, that I was going to go to literally the opposite end of the world, but they saw how happy I was, and so they were happy for me as well. And my dad, my dad was very reluctant. Like my parents, my mother was very angry with me. My dad uh, ended up coming back to the faith. But my father realized that it was, that this was, this was God's hand, right? This was God's decision. So my father kind of backed away and he never interfered at that point, from that point onwards and stuff. So, so they were happy that I was happy. Uh, problem, <laughs> problem is that I have autoimmune uh, issues. And when I got there, already the second day I got sick and then my health kind of continued to decline. So it kept deteriorating. And then we, I had gone to, to South Korea for a bit of uh, rest, and then I went back. And then I just, it's, it's a very uh, challenging climate, uh, very high altitude, and a lot of uh, pollution, different things. So my health was getting worse. So it was getting worse. And then I came back to Canada for ordination to the priesthood. So I was ordained by Bishop Boasano. Uh, that was probably the most, that was the most beautiful moment of my life. And then I was ordained, and then I stayed for a bit longer. I worked in our mission center, like led retreats. Then I went to Fatima, I went to Rome, and then I went back to Mongolia. And then I got a, uh, I got another virus, got sick again, and then it got to the point where I wasn't able to, to walk, uh, barely walk, so then um, I got sent back to Toronto. So I came back to Toronto, and then I had severe pneumonia and other issues, and then I had to convalesce for a period. And during that time, um, it was my spiritual father, who said to me, "I really think that you need to stay in Toronto." So mm-hmm. grace works on nature, but if your nature is not healthy, then you have to accept. You have to accept that. I went through a very, uh, a very, a profound kind of like spiritual uh, darkness for almost a year because I missed the the Mongolian people, mm-hmm. and I and I wanted to to be there. At the same time, I realized that I just wasn't able to. So it was it was very it was, it was a big challenge. So then I I had um, there's a process that you have to go through, and then with the with the the father general of the order, and then with with the cardinal. So we, you know you there's a process that you have to go through, and in the end, I was permanently incarnated in Toronto.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: and now I'm I'm a priest in the archdiocese of Toronto, which is my home diocese, mm-hmm. as well. I know it's a very long answer, but it's it's very complicated. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a priest. I'm in Toronto. Permanently incarnated. Yeah. see.
0: What was the name of the order, and how long were you in Mongolia?
1: Consulada Missionaries. It's an Italian order founded by Blessed Joseph Alamano, and I was in Mongolia for just under three years. Yeah, so I was for a few months in Ulaanbaatar, which is the capital city, and I studied a bit Mongolian there for the beginning, and then I moved to the desert in Arveher, and that's where I, I lived and I, I worked in the mission. So we had tents, we had a little house and tents, our church was a tent, and then I took care of the kids, taught English, played sports, and just basically thawed pipes, because you're in the desert, it's the coldest uh, city in the world, um, and it's one of the most polluted. So we, we're, we're basically, it's a mission of survival. But what was beautiful about it was that we spent hours in adoration every single day. So it was, it was, uh, it was, very, it was a very contemplative community.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is it similar to, I mean, you mentioned before that it's similar to, um, to the COVID-19 situation now. Yeah,
1: I think it's the fact that, uh, that you're, you're spending a lot of time alone with a with few people and you're not, having, you're not having much contact, but you're being, in a sense, forced to turn inwards. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, the spiritual director I had at the time in, in Mongolia, he's a, he's a hermit priest. And he said that the further, he was quoting from Henry Nowen, and he said, the further you go, the deeper you must enter. Mm -hmm. So that was important. So if all of these external things are being kind of shut down, then we have to look inward, but not so that we stay within ourselves so we can find God. Right. We can find God. And then, of course, he pushes us outwards towards others as well, so it's the silence and, and then not having, it's a, it's a fast in the sense that we didn't have Netflix, we didn't have any of these things. We did have Wi-Fi, but it was absolutely horrible, mm-hmm. and so we would try to talk to our families with Skype, and uh, so we'd be able to call each other, uh, talk to them, but it was spending time with a small group of people, the same people, uh, having access to little food and just trying to appreciate what you have, and Silence, yeah, so I think I think those are those are the similarities and, and and for a lot of people, it was difficult they they couldn't handle the silence again I, I struggled for a little bit, but then I got used to it after a while and I really think that's what helped me to help me to, to live this period with relative uh, peacefulness yeah mm-hmm. I see um,
0: what I was wondering is so when a you were in a mission in Mongolia. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't have thought that there would be a lot of silence, because you mentioned isolation. Like I would have imagined that you would be going out, preaching the gospel, or, or let's say, uh, like doing a lot of activities with the people. Yeah.
1: Well, there it's a democratic country, but they still they they were formed by communists, right. so we can't go out and evangelize. Mm-hmm. But people are anyone is is allowed to come to us, and to. Participate at the mass come for adoration. So the mission grows very slowly So we're not allowed to to go out and preach Mm -hmm. Yeah, a Mongolian person can but not a foreigner. I see. Yeah Yeah, so it's a different style of mission. So you have to adjust to your environment But we did have people come for Sunday mass. We'd have about 50 60 people in our tent and all but six were Buddhists. <laughs> the rest were Catholics. Oh wow! There were twelve Catholics, so the majority are Buddhists. So you don't give a Communion, so you give you give a blessing. But they liked it because there was this, there was this one lady, the Father Georgia, who's now uh, going to be consecrated bishop in a couple of weeks. Very holy, holy, brilliant, humble uh, priest, uh, wonderful man. And I lived with him in Mongolia, so he recounted uh, this time when the, I think he was in the tent. And they were having adoration, and they have this beautiful crucifix that was made by a Mongolian, visiting. So it's hanging over the altar. So this elderly lady walks in and she's completely broken and battered. But she walks in, she kind of actually she doesn't walk in, she kind of hobbles along, she comes in, she sits down on one of the stools, and she looks up at the crucifix and she goes, I understand him. She understood uh, Jesus because of her brokenness and seeing him on the cross. And her accepting her brokenness and seeing Jesus, that's God who who made himself so vulnerable, led her to want to be Catholic. Mm. And understanding the Mongolian mentality, the greatest person is Genghis Khan, who's a warrior Mm. who killed millions and millions of people. He conquered with the sword. He shed the blood of, of millions and then you have Jesus, who didn't shed the blood of anyone. He, his blood was shed for our salvation. He died on the cross in shame, will look like shame, but that was the triumph for our salvation, right? That's the vehicle through which we enter into heaven. It's very different. And I think, little by little, those who are the, the ones that are suffering, and that are not wearing a mask, right, but are, that are recognizing like, who they are and their brokenness, and when they look to Jesus, they can recognize someone um, who understands them, as it says in the letter to the Hebrews. And little by little, people start coming to the faith. But it's a very slow process, always.
0: So now you're uh, the chaplain at the Newman Center. Yeah. Um, how would you say things are similar or different um, than when you were a missionary in Mongolia?
1: Good question. I think the answers have to be more articulate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, However, the questions are always the same. Mongolia will say, well, who is this Jesus? So why, are you, why did you leave your country? Because Mongolians are very proud people. Right. The country is very small. They love their country. You know, they're, they've been invaded by the Russians, the Chinese. So they're, they, they're very they're proud people. They want to protect themselves, their identity. Again, all of this is understandable. So that, that, that experience right there. So the questions are the same, so so why do we exist, why are we here? Um, again, our answers to those who, who want to listen, the Christian answer is going to be the same, but at the university, the answers are, I guess, longer, they're in greater detail, also because it's much more difficult to speak in Mongolian. There are Mongolians who are able to, missionaries like Father Giorgio who have an incredible command of the Mongolian language, but I think the heart of each person is the same wherever you go. We've been—I lived in Italy, in uh, in the Middle East, in in South Korea, d- different places. And when you meet people, people are people. We all have the same again—the the desires, the struggles. Um, we're looking for something more, and we can say as Christians, we know why, because we're all created in the image and likeness of God, and therefore um, we cannot experience true peace and happiness unless we find. Christ. We enter into friendship with Jesus Christ. And that's what leads me uh, here at the university to want to be able to talk to others. So I don't go on the street uh, necessarily. I mean, I'm walking every day and people see my caller. other well, there are a few people now, but when the university was open, there were thousands and thousands of people on the streets. But I'm getting emails all the time, random emails of people coming and saying, I'd like to speak to a priest. Several are atheists, several are confused about life. Some people are extremely hostile towards the faith. So I've had quite interesting conversations in my office. But it's through dialogue, getting to know each other. So it's not just about spouting off answers. So getting to know each other, understanding where they're coming from, like their own personal story, helping to, uh, them to see how even in those dark moments, that, that the presence of God and how the Holy Spirit is kind of guiding them to that point and hoping and praying that they're going to be open to, to say yes to the Lord. Because faith, it's a supernatural virtue. So it's it's a theological virtue that comes from God. And so he gives it to us. But it's an invitation from God. We, uh, faith is also a very human act. We have to be open and say yes to the Lord. So It's not that he forces us to believe in him. But we have to respond. And, And that's why we spend a lot of time praying here as well. It's the heart of the mission to pray and that they'll find a place where they can feel comfortable and that they'll be able to meet Jesus here in the liturgy and in us. Yeah.
0: Nice. When you are at UFT, were you also active at the Newman Center? Would you say things have changed or are roughly the
1: same? Okay. Well, there weren't a lot of students that came in the house. Mm-hmm. There were SEMs at the time. I knew Julie and I knew a couple of others. I'd come downstairs the and ba- they had a coffee shop in the basement, so they had really good coffee and dessert. So I'd come and hang out with some friends. Uh, other than that, I would come to daily mass and then adoration on Fridays. And then that was pretty much it. In terms of uh, giving back to the community, I came to Father Tom at the time. It said to me, I think you should be a visitor to the sick, lay visitor to the sick. So I, used to, uh, I did the, the training course here, which is great. And then I sort of bring communion to the sick at Princess Margaret, and that helped to strengthen my vocation to, uh, to the priesthood as well. So I did that for a few years. And in terms of again my involvement here, I had a good relationship with the pastors. But the 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 Newman Center is different than it was before. Okay. Yeah, I think that there's a greater presence of students here now than there was in the past. I see. It's always an open community, but the but the community um, has changed, and there's so there's a I lot know. more young people, a lot more students coming. Yeah. I see. Something that's that's kind of evolved over the course of several years.
0: Would you say that the needs of the community have
1: changed, or maybe like the student community? Yes, I would say when I was a grad student here, I had less hostility towards Catholics than there is now. Okay. There is now, yeah. So there are many students coming to to meet with me uh, over the course, they they have been over the course of the past uh, four years. And they've been telling me that there's a lot of blatant anti-Catholicism in in their classes. So they require a lot of support, uh, intellectual support, also emotional support. What I'm finding is that the younger generations are are less resilient. Yeah. So we're trying to provide a lot of time and accompaniment to people that are struggling. Yeah.
0: Do you think things are getting better or getting worse?
1: Getting better in what sense?
0: Hmm. Um, I guess it's multifaceted, right? Because the the mainstream society is becoming more hostile to Catholicism, but you do see places like the Newman Center where there are a lot of young people who are on fire with their faith, yeah.
1: I think wherever there is is, um, suffering, wherever there is a a radical push when people are are raging against God right and we can see that in our society what I have seen is that God always draws good from evil so wherever there are struggles uh, God is constantly calling us to himself constantly and there are many people are starting to see the vacuousness of our culture our culture has we have nothing to offer the world has nothing to offer once you go and you eat from the, from the tree, right, and you have so people get involved in all different types of things, and you realize that it's like, okay, well, I've, had, I've tried this, I've done that, but I'm still unsatisfied. So people are, are experiencing a lot of addictions, and they realize that they're trapped. There's no freedom there. And because of that, God allowing that, that people are saying, well, maybe there are people saying, maybe there's something uh, about the Catholic Church that's real. That's true, and I've seen that. Like I said, I've had my best conversations have been in here with people that were atheists who ended up becoming Catholic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, my last question: um, If you could talk to your eighteen-year-old self about your vocation, um, what would you say?
1: Well, the world was different then. Mm-hmm. It was different. I'm forty-eight, right? mm-hmm. so I'm forty-eight years old. So things have changed quite a bit. However, what I will say is this, you have big plans, big dreams for your future. You want to be happy, you want to be fulfilled. You think that in order to be free and happy, then you need to do what you want. However, if you want to experience freedom and joy and peace, then you will only experience that when you come to know who God is in Jesus Christ and surrender yourself to his will. Yeah, that's what I would say. I will tell that to anyone. Yeah. (laughs) i tell that to my niece and nephew. Not that, I don't know if they listen, but I tell that to anyone who will listen. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: Yeah, no problem. No problem.
0: A big thank you to Father Peter for agreeing to be interviewed. I interviewed Father Peter earlier in July, and after the interview, Father Peter and I had a little chat about the reopening of the Newman Center chaplaincy in September to accommodate health regulations for the COVID 19 pandemic. Now, let's have a listen to the song that Father Peter picked What a Beautiful Name by Hillsong Worship. And don't forget to stay tuned for our next episode. Until next time, bye bye.